1: Nobody would want to come to Thanksgiving with a part of you that you beat yourself up with. If those thoughts, if what you say to yourself, if we would personify those and have them sitting at the Thanksgiving table, everybody would be like, oh my God, what is that? It's we really go to town on ourselves, for sure. And that's the internalizing that we do, that we keep to ourselves, that we don't say out loud. But it is a really, really harsh, often toxic, self-critical, shamed-filled environment that we carry around inside of ourselves. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn
2: Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm
1: here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to say. Okay, can I just get this out of the way? Yeah. Happy holidays. Okay, there you go. I feel better now. If you weren't listening to us last year, we have a little bit of a Scrooge (laughs) and a little bit of an elf (laughs) dynamic going on. We do. I mean, I'm not, and again, I probably said this last time too because I always feel like I have to defend my Scroogeness, but there's really like, there's not a lot to defend. So that's true. We got a Scrooge and an elf. As I remembered our
2: last year's episode on gratitude, and what the core of it was. Now I think of that episode, and I think it's about if you have an internalizing pattern, Mm -hmm. and you think you know what gratitude means, you don't really benefit from the power of gratitude until you make it an externalizing pattern. Mm -hmm. You've explained this before for me and our listeners, but I want to talk about What an internalizing disorder and an internalizing pattern is that we kind of all have, how do
1: we recognize them and why do we not want them? When we talk about internalizing disorders, we talk about anxiety and depression as internalizing disorders because the bulk of the toxic work that you do, the bulk of the bad stuff you do with anxiety and depression happen inside your head and it's between you and you. And the mistake that people make or the misunderstanding that people have is that anxiety is all about stuff outside of you or depression is all about stuff outside of you. Not that it can't contribute, of course, or trigger or cause or exacerbate, but internalizing patterns mean that you are doing stuff inside of you. You You're having a conversation with you. You are being self-critical. You are ruminating. You're just going in and having a meeting with oftentimes the most difficult parts of you to manage.
2: Anxiety and depression are sort of, they're categorized as internalizing disorders.
1: Mm -hmm. But wouldn't you say that everybody has internalizing patterns? Yeah. That's why human beings' brains and thinking and our minds, if we talk about it in that way, can be so complicated because you have what you're showing or experiencing on the outside. And then there is an enormous amount of stuff going on on the inside that oftentimes we're not, sometimes not consciously aware of, but oftentimes just keeping to ourselves. This is why I always make the joke that if there was this technology that could broadcast your thoughts out into the world, no one would want that. That is a nightmare. (laughs) A kid was saying to me the other day, oh, I wish I had the power to read other people's minds. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) I do not want to know. Stick with the power of flying or being invisible. Yeah. That personality test. Yeah, you don't want to read minds. No, you don't want to read minds.
2: That's kind of interesting to think about because what you're saying is that if we had the power to read each other's minds, the takeaway would be,
1: God, we're so awful to ourselves. Mm -hmm. The goal is when you're learning how to manage your internal world. What do you need to pay attention to and what do you need to let go of? And a lot of this stuff just crops up and it just becomes habitual. We don't even pay attention to it. It's just there. If we're having nasty internal thoughts about other people, lots of times we do pay attention to those because we feel bad about those. And then the other part of ourselves is, oh, I can't believe you're thinking about that. Oh, you're so judgy. Oh, she's trying her best and you're being so critical. It's just this constant internal dialogue that happens inside all of us. All the time.
2: I'm going to ask you this because this is sort of like the format of the anxiety audit. When we know that we're beating ourselves up, what do we do?
1: The first thing you have to do is you have to recognize that there's really not a lot of value in beating yourself up. And one of the myths that we have is that that's really important to do. Like that keeps you on track, that makes you successful. So there's a big difference between talking to yourself or encouraging yourself or sometimes even holding yourself accountable versus this constant toxic negativity. And I've actually been writing about this recently. So it's right in the forefront of my mind is how do you recognize the things you need to pay attention to when you're talking to yourself versus the stuff that is just this old crap that comes from a lot of different places that you're not even assessing it. You're not even recognizing whether it's helpful or not. You're just doing it. So the first thing that you can do is just recognize what are the repetitive patterns that you have. It could be as simple as when you look in the mirror, the first thing you say is like, oh God. Or when you are opening your computer to do some work or when you're stepping into a social situation, do you have this automatic, very patterned, very habitual thought that is just self-critical? And you don't even assess it. You don't even evaluate it. You just keep doing it over and over again. So the first thing you want to do is you want to recognize the repetitiveness of that pattern because it is so automatic for people. So when we recast
2: our episode on gratitude next, I think it's a very interesting lens to think about because you describe in this episode the ways gratitude really does have some legs and can be powerful versus you're not feeling that great and you're going to have a moment of gratitude and think that you're grateful for something, 10 minutes later, you're probably going to feel the same way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been seeing this a lot, actually, about the danger of toxic positivity. Yes. Right? Just like, oh, I'm supposed to feel grateful for this or I'm supposed to feel grateful for that. The reason they call it toxic positivity is because it doesn't make any room for negativity. And then we just beat ourselves up because we're not positive enough and also because it just falls flat, it feels fake. Everything will be fine. Isn't this great? I think gratitude is really helpful when you sit back and you truly think about what are you grateful for? And it is an act. And I think this is what we talked about in the episode. It is an external act of showing gratitude, of expressing gratitude, of really thinking about it instead of making it this rote practice of, oh, I feel grateful for this, or I feel grateful for that. Really thinking about over these past years, what have people done for you that really make you feel grateful and then express it to those people? I was just actually watching a clip right before we started recording where Adele was giving some concert in the UK And her teacher from eighth grade was in the audience, and she didn't know it. And Emma Thompson stood up and said to her, the question obviously was planted. They must have known that Adele has talked about this woman before. But Emma Thompson stood up and said, who's somebody who really changed your life? Who's somebody that you're really grateful for? And she said, oh, you know, my eighth grade teacher. And she was only there for a year, but she showed me this and she did this. And then, of course, the teacher was there. So there's, you know, everybody starts crying. But it was just this act of being grateful, this act of expressing to other people that they have made a difference in some way is so much more helpful and so much more fulfilling than just going through this rote list of, oh, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that, I'm grateful for this. I think that's what you're talking about in terms of external versus internal. Sure. If an internalizing person reaches out to that other person
2: who they're truly grateful for, you've disrupted their internalizing pattern as well.
1: That's right. And this is this idea that the inner isolation, which we talked about in the anxiety audit, inner isolation, it's all about how you're perceiving things, not how you're doing things. It's all about the conversations you're having inside of yourself, rather than the action you're taking to connect with other people.
2: You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable.
1: With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual
2: sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in
1: order to attend
2: sessions. It's mental health care made easy.
1: That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As
2: a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace
1: when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Dot com Wouldn't it be great at the Thanksgiving table if everybody went around and talked about what they were grateful, that somebody else at that table had done, or some connection that they had had that really made a difference in their lives? Rather than just going around and saying, "I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that," really think about who's sitting there with you, or maybe who's even not there with you? Who made an impact, and how can you express your gratitude to that person? that's external connection and that's what bolsters our emotional state it bolsters our mental health it bolsters our physical health it's about connection and gratitude should not be an internal process it should be an external act and so we'll explain what that means
2: in this recast and have a wonderful holiday weekend
1: happy holidays here i'll try and be healthy happy holidays <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh. I think it would be really interesting to think about what really is the power of
1: gratitude and can it really be this cure-all? Well, and that's one of the things that I pay a lot of attention to actually, because many words or practices or things that are touted as being good for us, and many of them are good for us, but then they they cross over into this place where they're going to be cure-alls. They're going to fix everything. So I think it's interesting to actually look at what we know about what gratitude can do and maybe what it can't do and how you can implement gratitude in really effective ways in your family. Is gratitude the kale of mental wellness? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it depends on on whether you (laughs) massage it before you put it in your gratitude salad. That's right. When people are researching gratitude, because people research everything, gratitude is defined as an emotion, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, right? We don't often think of it that way. I think of it as an emotion, but I also think of it as an act. The the same way, for example, I just read this quote somewhere, and I want to say that it was from Mr. Rogers because it probably was, but he said, love is an act, right? Love is active. And I think when we think about gratitude, it's an emotion for sure. Like we feel gratitude, but I think it's really important to think about it as, as something that we do, because one of the things that the research shows about gratitude is that one of the biggest places where it has an impact is on your relationships. And you know, that's, that's what I'm all about. So it's an emotion, but it's a social emotion Because it really helps you connect with people and interact with people in a positive way. If we think about gratitude, we can think about it as an internal state, right? Oh, I feel so grateful for this, or I feel so grateful for that. But I think if we really want to have it be effective in our own sense of happiness or well-being, gratitude is something to be given and something to be shared, and something to be absorbed. And I think those are really good skills that we can model for our family. One of the the things that we know about gratitude is that it doesn't really cure anxiety and depression based on the research, but it can help to prevent it. I'm all about what are the skills that we need to teach our kids. It's like when we were talking about depression, what are your risk factors and how do we get ahead of it in our families? How do we think about where are the little gaps or where are the little cracks in our potential to develop anxiety and depression? Having a gracious attitude, exhibiting gratitude is one of those things that can actually help to prevent mental health issues. Once you're pretty anxious and once you're pretty depressed, gratitude isn't a treatment. Gratitude isn't a psychotherapy. Gratitude isn't going to take that stuff away, but we can use it as a way to buttress our mental health. And and with our kids, that's such an important thing for us to be thinking about.
2: When you were saying that, what I was thinking of... There was like a trend on Facebook where people had gratitude challenges and they would post every day Mm -hmm. something they were grateful for. And it makes me think Mm -hmm. that there are certain aspects of gratitude that we've gotten wrong. Because when people are sharing among their friends on Facebook that they're grateful for the roof over their heads, but if gratitude was always defined as some sort of past action between Mm -hmm. two people. So that I wouldn't say that I was grateful for the memory of this or this. I would say, I'm grateful for you that you went with me to the park that day. And we got to do this together and use gratitude as a way to deepen our connections.
1: Because if you are feeling grateful and you're carrying that around inside of you, well, that's good. But what if you're really grateful to the effort that your second graders teacher has made to deal with remote learning, or you're grateful to your friend who knew you were having a rough day and left a little box of chocolates on your front step or whatever. So you're feeling grateful for that, but you don't tell them that. So part of it is is gratitude is about saying thank you. Gratitude is saying, I appreciate that you did this for me. I appreciate that you paid attention to what I was going through and you did something to help me. And, And that's where I think when we teach kids to express gratitude that we are also teaching them empathy. Because remember, empathy is putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and understanding and appreciating what they're going through or what they're feeling at the time. It's just not a one-way street. Being able to say to somebody, I really appreciate that you did that. I really appreciated that you were paying attention to, to how I was feeling. When we say that to a child, we're modeling empathy. I guess I'm getting stuck on this little idea. So for example,
2: in our family, one of the things that we will often hear is I'll hear my husband say to his mom, your mom, thank you for the nice meals. Like after we've had a lovely visit, because Mm -hmm. your mom's this great cook, we're Mm -hmm. always talking about her great cooking, Mm -hmm. which of course is showing gratitude. However, if instead he said, not thank you for the nice meals, but I just want you to know, I appreciate the time that you took to make these meals for us. And I appreciate the skill that you have of cooking something so delicious, really making it about what she did as opposed to the the outcome. Yeah. Ultimately, it's kind of the same, but one is going to feel a lot more
1: significant than the other. Well, I think because when you say it that second way, you're not just saying, thank you for the tuna fish sandwich. You're saying, thank you for the time and effort And the caring that you put into the tuna fish sandwich. Right. You're actually appreciating what that person did for you based on not just on the thing they're handing you. Right. You know, say you're at the grocery store and you give the person $20 for a $14 thing and they hand you $6 back and you say, thank you okay, so you appreciate that you gave them 20, they gave you $6 back. You wouldn't say, I so appreciate the time you took to count my money and to to really, (laughs) right? You wouldn't say that. So thank you. There's different levels of thank you. And I think what you're saying is that we can do the perfunctory thank you. When we're expressing gratitude, we're saying, I really appreciate that you did this thing for me, or I notice what you're doing as a way to help me or as a way to connect to me. Or I appreciate the time and care and the emotional energy that you put into it. And if you were someone
2: who trained yourself into always thinking about your interactions with other friends and family, and you routinely verbalized that because you saw them for all of these positive things. And you shared that I doubt that you'd have a disconnected feeling and a distance with them. I bet that it would be an ability to feel very connected with the close people in your circle. Oh, for sure it strengthens emotional connection yeah when you routinely say i see you
1: right and that's why when we think about gratitude as as a social emotion that it's about interaction it's about connection between two people it does take it up to that next notch i'm not trying to develop an emotional connection with the person handing me 6 dollars at the grocery store i appreciate that they gave me my money back but i'm not trying to emotionally connect so when you're expressing gratitude, it is much more emotional. It's a much more deeper sense than just a, than just a thank you. The thing that's interesting to me about it too is how uncomfortable people can be both expressing that gratitude and receiving it. Everybody listening, just think, think of this for a moment. Think of somebody that has been really important in your life. And think about what it would be like for you to reach out to that person. Maybe it was this high school teacher you had that really helped you when you were going through a rough time, or maybe it was, you know, who knows, right? The first boss you had that said, I think you're really going to be able to do this job and I have confidence in you. What would it be like for you to express gratitude to that person? How many times have you thought of somebody that you're really grateful for And have you acted upon that? And I think that expression of gratitude is really important, but I think a lot of times we just don't do it. You know what's great about that? What? It's never too late. I
2: know. I have two specific teachers that were really life changing for me. And I was relieved that as you said that, I did express that to each of them at different points. It was actually several years later because. Understanding the profound impact the teacher and the lessons had. You know, obviously with age, I only became more grateful. So it was super fun to, as an adult, articulate what this teacher right. did.
1: It's never too late to write that. Nope, it's never too late. I actually got an email last week, from one of my high school teachers. He was my chemistry teacher, but more importantly than that, he was my advisor. So in the school I went to, you had like a homeroom advisor person, and he actually went to the college I went to, and he was instrumental in helping me learn about it and talk to me about it. And uh, he saw an article that I had written, so he just reached out and emailed. And I emailed back to him, and it's both the giving of gratitude and the receiving of gratitude. I wrote this really appreciative email back to him and I felt so good writing it. And I got to expect that when he got the email, he just retired from teaching. He's probably, you know, in his mid seventies, I'm guessing that he appreciated receiving it too, because he was so kind to me. He was such a, he should have been a teacher, right? He was a coach and a teacher and that was where he should have been. And I so appreciate that. It's really both the giving and the receiving that we want to pay attention to. Didn't you feel good when you reached out to those people and you were able to express your gratitude to them? Definitely. It's such an easy exercise
2: to do. Is there anyone that you haven't ever expressed that
1: gratitude at any point to draft that note? And I think it's interesting you say that it's an easy exercise to do because I will dispute you on that a little bit. I think it's easy logistically to do, but I think it is really hard sometimes for people to do that. Like I think emotionally people, they feel embarrassed about it or they feel vulnerable when they do it. Like they feel like, oh, this is going to be, how is this going to be received? I think the idea of doing it and I think the logistical, like you say, you can track people down and send them things, but I think people hesitate to do it. I think they hesitate to do it with the people that they love the most. I was just reading something and I can't remember what it was, but this guy was saying that he that he sat down with his dad. It was one of the TED Talks that we're going to make sure we link to, but how it felt weird to sort of sit down with his dad and say, I just want to tell you how, how grateful I am for what you've done for me as a dad. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that. We've got to say, like, you just got to dive in and maybe it will feel a little uncomfortable and maybe you will get a little emotional, but that's the point and that's okay. then you should be open and receive it. Because one of the things that shuts people down, like say you were to go to a a parent or say you were to go to somebody and say, I really appreciate all that you did to help me with this. And they go, ah, forget about it. Or they go, oh, now you're going to get all weepy on me, right? Oh, here we go with this mushy stuff that shuts it down. Or, oh, it's nothing. Yeah. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. When we're talking about how we model this for our children, we want to model it in a way that we show them both how to give it and how to receive it so that we can have those interactions, that we have that connection. There are things that you can do. I mean, you can talk very directly to your family, to your children about doing these exercises of expressing gratitude to other people. So one of the exercises you see, all the, you know, you hear like, oh, I'm just going to keep a gratitude journal. So every night I'm going to write down about three things that made me feel grateful today. Okay, that's fine. Actually, the research shows that that doesn't actually have too much of an impact on when people are feeling anxious and depressed. But if we take it up a notch, you're going to express gratitude to somebody every day, that when you notice somebody doing something that you appreciate, then you're going to teach your kids how to say that out loud and how to accept it and how to be open to it. I think that's much more powerful than you just making a list in your journal, honestly. If you're making it uh,
2: a one-person experience, reflecting on gratitude and putting it in a journal, that's not even showing the strength of what gratitude is.
1: Right. It's a social action. And I think sometimes that gets lost. You know, we can certainly be grateful for the beauty around us. We don't have to stand outside and say, like, thank you, chipmunks, for you know. <laughs> but 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 you I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. Was it Chip and Dale who were like after you? After you. <laughs> yeah, after you. yeah, Chip and- I just made an amazing connection. Chip and Dale? Right? Isn't there aren't there the Chip and Dale dancers? Uh, yes. Is that a play on the Chipmunks? Um But is that is that where it came from?
2: It actually didn't. Chippendale is a reference to interior design, like Chippendale furniture. Chippendale has a historic meaning before the Disney chipmunks.
1: Yeah, but the Chippendale dancers, did they come after the chipmunks?
2: The Chippendale dancers are referred to Chippendale, the word that has the historic design association.
1: So male strippers the connection <laughs> is back to the design of colonial era furniture. I don't think Chippendale was so. colonial. <laughs> but I
2: Chippendale the chipmunks were named after the word Chippendale. Yes. If you join our Facebook group, we will share the answer after
1: I okay. research it. Is there a connection? This is what I'm asking. <laughs> Anyway, I don't even know what we were talking about. Chipmunks. Okay. So yes, gratitude. (laughs) Gratitude is a social emotion. Let's get back on track here. Okay. Let's talk about what we can do. So if you're saying to yourself, you're you're listening to this parents and you're saying, okay, so this is something that I really want to make sure that I show for my children. Think about it very concretely. Think about the fact that when you teach your kids how to give and receive gratitude, You are teaching them empathy. We know that that's hugely important in social relationships. People who express a lot of gratitude, some of the research shows, is that they are also less critical of themselves. And we know that self-criticism is a risk factor for anxiety and depression. And that it is a way to really support social bonding and to create relationships. It also helps with emotional regulation. If we're talking about you know, the act of being grateful. And of expressing that, there are a lot of benefits that we give our kids when we put this practice into place with our families and we model it and we teach it and we do it on a regular basis.
2: You have the game that you like to show families of when you're talking about anxiety and response what was something you didn't expect today? And how did you respond and handle it?
1: Unexpected things, right? Problem solving.
2: So I think that when a lot of families sit down at the table, they say, well, what are you thankful for? And I think we're guilty of this too. I think Mm -hmm. that we have always had such a simplistic view of that exercise, Mm -hmm. even though we use the phrase, I'm grateful for you. But if we were to sit around at a table and say, what are you thankful for? We're likely not going to be using those moments and using that language for the power of what gratitude can be. Mm -hmm. So what we have to simply say is, what are you thankful for that is an action that someone you know did? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And thankful for that someone did here at this table. Yep. Because families get the habit of learning how to say to their sibling, I'm grateful that you did this, this, and this, right? Siblings learn to say it with each other. Mm-hmm. Parents say it to their children, to their, to their partners. If there's two adults in the house, mm-hmm. that is showing children early on how to articulate gratitude in a way
1: that is its, at its most potent. Right as a way to deepen your emotional and social connection with other people. And remember, I've said this a gazillion times, and I'll say it again, when we're looking at risk factors for anxiety and depression, loneliness and isolation come up over and over and over again. So anything that we do, anything that we teach our kids that fosters that kind of social and emotional connection is worth its weight in gold. So as we hear gratitude throughout the month
2: As we approach the Thanksgiving holiday, I think it just is really important to think about how did you used to think about gratitude? How might you think of it now so that Mm -hmm. you are leveraging it for what it really can be? And how are you bringing the culture of gratitude in with your family? Because, you know, you always talk about flexibility, autonomy, and problem solving. Mm -hmm. This sounds like another good fourth to add to the list of Mm -hmm. this is is a personality trait or a a custom or a habit that parents really want to put some emphasis on.
1: Yeah. Well, it's under the other thing I talk about all the time is connection. And this is just under the heading of connection. Sure. And I think maybe what we could do is give the adults that are listening a little assignment, which is, is there somebody in your life, either currently or in the past, that you would really like to express your appreciation and your gratitude for. And so just do it. Just do it. Don't delay. Just do it. Get that wonderful feeling of connection uh, that comes from that. I'm thinking of that great scene in the
2: Fred Rogers movie Mm -hmm. when they're in the diner and, and Tom Hanks asks the writer, to stop and think about someone, to sort of shift his mindset and think Mm -hmm. about someone who you're so grateful for. Mm -hmm. If people don't know what's so beautiful about that scene is that the people that they did close-ups on in that diner were real-life friends and family of Fred Rogers. Mm -hmm. So his wife was sitting in the restaurant. I think one of his children, the female producer that he worked with for so many years.
1: Mm. If you listen to the last commencement speech that he gave... Was it Dartmouth? Yeah, and that's what he had people do that. He even did it, I think the Kennedy Center Honors. That was one of these, uh, something that he did very frequently at his speaking engagements when he was talking is that he would be quiet for a minute. He would say, I'm going to give you a moment of, of silence, a minute of silence, and I just want you to think about somebody in your life that you're grateful for right? And then the next thing is let them know it. If they're still around, let them know it. Don't hold back. Don't wait. Let them know. Chip and Dale were the chipmunks
2: who would say, after you, after you, no, after you, right? They were like the ones who were excessively polite.
1: I don't know. I thought they were the ones that had like little chipmunk voices
0: like this.
2: So there are two chipmunks, two animated chipmunks that are excessively polite to each other. Oh, but I question whether or not those chipmunks are chippendale.
1: so here's the here's the issue that needs to be resolved. We know that Chippendale is used in a variety of contexts, yes, rodents, furniture, and mail strippers. I don't know that there is another phrase in our language that actually covers such a wide array of things. Well, what I want to do
2: is I want to look at the furniture history and the phrase Chippendale, look at the styles again and see why someone said that's the the adjective for our male strippers. I think that's really, to me, the interesting question.
1: Do you think you're going to find some historical question? I think you're really, I mean, good for you, but I think you're really giving a lot of credit to people who were coming up with a name for male strippers. Now, perhaps I'll be surprised but we'll see. I'm thinking Chippendale furniture. Maybe they had a lot of those tassels hanging. You're going furniture inspiration and I'm going rodent fetish. So we'll see where this plays out. Although your side seems extremely intriguing, I think I'm going (laughs) to win. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm fine with you winning, right? We're just going to go with the facts. I just want you to
2: know that I am grateful that you said that you're fine, that I'm winning.
1: What I really appreciate about you is your, your steadfast allegiance to some sort of rational explanation for why male strippers are called. Like, I appreciate the, just like the, like you are going to go back in history and you're going to make sense of this. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you seek me for who I am. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to put up, there's a whole bunch of TED Talks on gratitude. We're going to make sure that we put those in the show notes for everybody. So join our Facebook group and you will
2: have the opportunity to ask Lynn another question
1: and stay tuned because the Chippendale mystery is going to be solved. All right. On that note, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin.